doing at a youth camp, right? Uh, Timothy and, and Kelly, they dread. Have any of you ever seen Nacho Libre? You ever seen that movie? Okay. Yes, Nacho Libre. You all need to watch that movie, okay? Nacho and Steven right here. Right? They were, th- those were kind of leading the games for our camp the entire time. We'll have a video of me next week. You can see them in action. Nacho and Steven may come visit Vintage in the very near future. Yeah, we're really excited about that. They may come do announcements for us to show us some of their moves, right? So really excited about that. Uh, but we, anyway, came, just had a great time. Uh, every night we would have a, and every, every morning there'd be a time of worship and testimonies all led by just the Indian nationals who were there, some, uh, some of their friends who came from a couple of local churches. Every night, Harvest and the team would lead, and one of us would speak. Timothy spoke, I spoke, and then Corey Hallett, he's on staff at Riverstone Church, spoke. And God did amazing things. And then we came back the second week, and we were at Karube Home, and then we just, there were lots of ministries we connected with and things that we did. You may hear some of those stories. I'm not sure this morning. Uh, but it was just an amazing couple of weeks. And so I wanted to invite just three of them to come and share this morning. And I'll close this out in a little bit. So I don't, we'll just go ladies first. Lane, you get to lead the way. Are you, don't be nervous. Here we go. Here we, is that on? There we go. There you go. This is Lane. You get up for her. All right. I'm going to try not to cry. I spent like two weeks crying completely dehydrated because I cried the entire time I was there. Um, so I'll try not to cry now. But um, I think oh, there's so, like there's so much. You, you Obviously, you cannot take a two-week trip where God is moving literally every day and every moment and every person that you meet. You can't just like put it in a package and tie it with a bow and just hand it to anybody and go, here, this is my little trip. It's beautiful. Unwrap it and see what God did. Like it's just impossible. It's going to be a mess. It's going to be crazy. There's wrapping paper everywhere. It's just it's. But it's amazing. It's life-changing. And so I encourage every one of you to come and talk to any of us on the team if you want to hear more because we still need to process. I mean, we've only been not even been back a week, have we? Have we even been back a week? Um, So we're still processing what God did in us. Um, So it helps to just kind of vomit it out (laughs) to people. Um, And it may not make sense, but if you are a willing ear who wants to listen to these stories, then we all appreciate it very much. Amen. Um, but I think one of the things God's really showing me is that when I want God to move in my life, when I want to see God do something, I pray about it. And then I look right here and go, okay, God, your promises are true. You, you hear me. And I look right here and I go move and I wait and I get mad because I don't see God moving right here. But the whole time he's like over here. He's moving and he's doing like these amazing things. And he is just, I mean, he's, he's moving. He's being God. He's being the living God in my life, in the world, changing things, doing things. And I don't see it because I'm focused right here because I want this answered. I want to see God move right here. And I think that's one of the biggest things God showed me when I was on this trip was stop, stop looking right here, Lane. You've got to wake up and see how I'm moving. Like, here's the universe, here's the world, I'm moving through it, and your story is part of this. It's not right here. And um, that's something really big that God woke me up to because he, I had a specific prayer when I was on this trip, and God wasn't answering it, and he wasn't moving and I was like, I know you didn't forget about me. I know you love me. Where, you know, where are you? And um, he was moving. He was moving supernaturally the entire time. And it took me halfway through the trip. It took me full seven days for God to wake me up and go, 
seriously, Lane, look, I've been moving the entire time. Amazingly, you need to be praising me for this, but you're just so focused on this. So that's one thing he really woke me up to, which was unbelievable. And he used little Kumari to do it. I don't think Kumari's not in this picture, but um, for those of you who do not know, I think it was about a year ago. It was about around a year ago. Kumari is one of the, the newest members of Crew Bay Homes. Um, and she's an orphan. She's a little girl. And she is six years old. And she is teeny tiny. She is smaller than my four-year-old daughter. I mean, she's just tiny. And she's six. And um, her uncle wanted to take her away from Crew Bay Homes and, because he didn't think it was fair that his brother's daughter got to live this a nicer life than his own children did. So with an evil, spiteful heart, you know, we can all think terrible things about this man. He wanted to take, and he had every right to take Kumari away from this home and force her into probably a life of slavery, you know, abuse, just who, you know, we, we don't even want to go there. What could have happened to her if she was taken away? And so <clears throat> Tammy calls out for a mass call to prayer. And people from all over the world, the world, not just here, not just in India, were praying for this little girl, little Kumari, this little tiny, unassuming six-year-old child who had every, every odd was stacked against her. Every single odd, just pile and pile, stacked against this little girl. There was no reason for any good to come for her. Like, there was no reason... Like, she, she was powerless. She was a girl. She was little. She was innocent. She was, just, she was just this nameless, faceless orphan in the middle of India who was about to be taken and abused and lost forever, you know, and who, who knows. But God called people together to come and to pray and to stand in place for this little girl. And God, just in this moment, in, a, in the snap of a finger, he changed the heart of man, and the man gave up his rights to this little girl and for some random reason decided that he did not want anything to do with her and, and let Tammy take her, and she's Tammy's forever. And she will grow up living in the home, serving Jesus, this little six-year-old girl. So, you know, this is the ma- amazing story that most of us heard if we were here a year ago. We heard this story about how God changed, her, changed this man's heart and this miracle that happened for this little girl. So I'm sitting one day at camp. And she comes out um, at breakfast time, comes out of her little house, and she is wearing these little patent leather shoes with little high heels. <laughs> and, of course, this, and, and this beautiful, like, frilly little dress. And she just comes running out, and she's skipping around, and she's playing. And we're at camp, and it's dirt. Like, there's, it's dirt everywhere. There's these trees. Like, there's cobras. We're all being warned about the bears. We're all being warned about the snakes and the cobras. And, of course, I would have dressed my daughter in cowgirl boots and jeans, you know, and made sure she's all covered. But here she comes out in full confidence with all of her little friends in her little high heel shoes. I mean, like little, you know. It's not like she was wearing high heels. But um, these little patent leather, beautiful dress-up shoes and her pretty, frilly little dress. Because the theme for the week was... Um, were princesses, prince and princesses for God in junior camp. And she was just so excited that she got to wear her princess dress at camp. And I looked at her and I thought, man, that girl, she sure is walking in confidence right now. Like, there's probably dirt in her shoes and she's getting messy and, and, and it's probably uncomfortable, but it didn't, it didn't matter her, to her because she was beautiful and she knew that she was so loved and she was so accepted and she just walked in that full confidence of who she was as a six-year-old little little girl loved by Jesus. And God said, 
flame, that is you, and that is my people. Like, we all walk around, you know, with this, with these chips on our shoulders or these frustrations, and, and we live this life when we feel powerless and we feel frustrated and we are faced with things in our families are just, our families are falling apart, and maybe, you know, we're sick and someone we know we love is dying. Just, you know, all these, just these things. We live in a fallen world. And, and all the things that go along with living in a fallen world. And we have to face that. Um, and we don't even know that Jesus looks at us like little Kumari who, who moved heaven and earth just for one little girl, one tiny little six-year-old who had no hope at all and, and so unassuming. And she had no idea. And God moved the world for her. And God does that for us. He loves us so much that he wants us to walk around in full confidence you know, dressed up, going, look, I'm, I'm, I'm your daughter. I'm your son, God. I'm walking around in that confidence. I know who you are, that God will move heaven and earth, that we don't need to be focused on our problems. We don't need to be focused on the things that bother us. You know, oh, God, are you going to do this? Are you going to move? Are you going to move? Because while we were praying, you know, while we're focused on the fact that little Kumari could have been taken away forever, God was doing a miracle. He was bringing a body of, of believers, a body of church lovers, I mean, Jesus lovers together to pray and come together in unity to pray for one tiny little girl. And God will do that for every single one of us. And I think that's just God just 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 put that and sealed that in my heart while I was in India was you are Kumari Lane. You are this little girl, and I will move heaven and earth for you, and I will do that for every single one of my people, every single one of you out here. You are little Kumaris that Jesus wants to just pour his love into you. He wants you to walk around in confidence. He wants you to know that, yes, I hear and see the problems that you have, but I, but I, and I love you, and I will move heaven and earth for you. And... Um, yeah, that's just, that's my little India story there. There's so much more. But that's uh, little baby Kumari. Okay, um, so like Lane said, there's just so much um, we could talk about. And even as I was thinking about what I was going to say, when Steve asked us to give a testimony, I was, you know, like so many things went through my mind of even... You know, things God did in my heart and my heart for missions and things that God did at camp and bringing salvation and just there's so much. Um, but I, I kind of went into this trip and I went in in this very dry, unemotionless place. Um, my heart was just not being moved by the Lord or by the, you know, the things that are on his heart. And. So I was kind of, I kind of went into this trip in this position of, all right, God, it's your move. Like, I'm still worshiping, I'm still praying, I'm still having my quiet time, but it's up to you to now change my heart. And I'm just going to wait for that. And while I was in India, through several conversations and just several just revelations, God kind of woke me up to this idea of, you know, you, you keep saying that you want to worship me in spirit and truth. And you're like, it's your fault, God, that you're not pouring out your spirit. And really, you just haven't woken up to the idea of the truth. The truth that my spirit is in you and it's empowering you even when you don't feel it. And 
I'm active and I'm moving and I'm doing things. And you kind of have this passive approach to what I'm doing. And you're just waiting for me to move. And he's already and I'm already moving. I'm already doing things. Um, and so as soon as I sort of switched my mindset of, okay, God's moving and God's doing things and God's speaking uh, and God's empowering me and God loves me in my mind versus, well, God, if you just show up, it was like this umbrella of awareness to his spirit just came. Um, and the, the first time I think I realized it was um, in the junior camp. I'd given the devotional in the morning on, um, the lesson was on, uh, I'm important to the kingdom. And I'd given the devotional on who is the kingdom and bringing the kingdom to, you know, people in your life or whatever. And the story, or, or the activity for the younger kids was to draw a picture of someone in their life that they could be Jesus to. Um, and, you know, people they could bring the kingdom to. And so we're walking around, and I think it was Catherine walked over to seven-year-old Peter. And uh, Peter is one of the uh, more problem kids in the home. He's just, he's very um, energetic and outgoing. Yes. yes. Um, Spirited, yeah. Yes. That's a good word. Um, but he, he's just this adorable, sweet, sweet child. And um, so Catherine goes over and looks at his drawing and asks him what it is, and he goes, you know, there's a picture of him standing up, and there's a bunch of people laying down, and Catherine asks, who are these people that are laying down? Peter goes, oh, they're dead people. And Catherine was like, well, how are you being Jesus to the dead people? And he told her that he was being Jesus by raising them from the dead. And so I hear that, and then I go into the small groups, and in my small group there were five uh, 11 and 12 year olds and the phrase of our small group was yeah so when I was talking to Jesus Jesus said this and I mean every day the kids I mean every other sentence this is what they were saying and it was like I stepped back and it's like what what have I not tapped into like what are these kids expecting from God that I'm not like, here I am sitting in my passivity waiting for God to show up, and I'm just waiting for, you know, to feel something during worship. I'm just waiting for, you know, to not have a boring, you know, 30-minute quiet time. And, you know, these 7-year-old, 10-year-old kids are hearing from God, expecting to raise people from the dead. What, what am I missing out? Um, Tammy said in one of her talks that she doesn't know what it's like to not live without miracles. And it was so convicting because I can't say the same. I know what it's like to live without miracles, and it's, it's boring, but it is. And it's how I was living before India. Um, but it was just this idea of, like, how much more does God want to do, and how much more should we be believing him for uh, that these little seven-year-old kids are believing him for? Um, but then on the flip side of that, or I guess the same side of that, um, the one, one story from, uh, Home of Hope, which is the, um, the home for the dying that we visited the one day, um, there was a woman and she was, uh, laying on her towel under the fountain, 
um, like getting shade. And I walked over to her and sat down. And as soon as I sat down next to her, she just grabbed my hand and just started talking. And uh, I don't know what she was speaking. Um, there's a lot of different languages in India. Uh, I just knew that it wasn't English, and I didn't understand what she was saying. <laughs> um, and she just kept talking. And she rubbed my arm and just kept talking. And you know, she'd shake her head and look at me like, do you understand? Are you listening? And I shook my head back like, yeah, I'm, I'm listening. Uh, I have no idea what you're saying. And I sat there and listening to words I didn't understand. And I was like, Jesus, like, I know that you, like, you've given me the expectation of camp. Like, I know your power moves. I know that you could empower me to hear her and understand what she was speaking and even speak in her language. Like, I know your power can do that. I know the scripture. I know you've done that before. Um, and it was in that moment that, you know, Jesus, he kind of, I don't know, not just gave me this idea of, like, yes. I could do that. Thank you for expecting that. Thank you for believing that I could. But right now, this is where my glory is. My glory is in you not understanding what she's saying, but just listening to her. Like, it was was the simplest of things. It was the most ridiculous of things. I'm, I'm I'm listening to this old, crippled, dying woman laying on her towel, surrounded by gnats, talking in a language I don't understand. And... That's where the glory of God was. And it was like, this is the most profound thing where all I'm being asked to do is just listen to words I don't even understand. Um, And so it was like, you know, I think sometimes even in expecting God to do miracles and expecting God to do these amazing things, it's like we forget how profound God or how, how how God wants to move in, in the simplest of things, you know, even just listening um, you know, to this old dying woman. Um, but, yeah, there's so much more, but that's, I think I'm done. Hey, I'm Kelly. Uh, so I'm very analytical, so I'm going to lay out an outline for how I'm going to talk. So funny <laughs> story, okay. Uh, God is good youth camp story. Um, let's see. And then basically some healing that God showed me through the youth camp. So uh, start out funny story. So I also was at the home of Hope uh, and uh, heartbreaking. I mean, this place, like like she said, it's just basically a place in India. Um, and I don't exactly understand this, but like if you're really sick, sometimes the hospitals won't even admit you for whatever reason. So you have a lot of people just die on the streets, which is awful. And so this home basically just gives them a place to die. They don't, they're not doing preventive treatment. It's just people with AIDS and these different ailments that are just, you know, just kind of waiting. And so pretty sad, uh, you know, pretty heavy. And uh, so anyway, I was clipping toenails. So just going around, you know, and again, nobody can speak English. So you just kind of, you know, you'd say you want to clip. And uh, so I went up to this guy and, uh, you know, you want to clip. And he looked at me and kind of. You know, smiled and he held out his hand, and I was like, "Okay, what's it going to hurt to let this guy hold the clippers for a second? So he took the clippers and immediately just went whoosh, like this, you know. And I was like, uh, "You know, it was 
like, give those back. And he was like, uh-uh-uh. <laughs> he gave me that number. And uh, I was like, oh, what am I going to do? And so I kind of reached for it, and he slapped my hand. And I was like, whoa. I'm like, this is real. Like, I had no idea what to do. And so I just kind of looked at him, and he just gave this grin, like, uh and so literally for about three minutes, we, like, sparred, like, hand sparred, you know. I was, like, reaching for it, and he'd pop it, you know. And, and so finally I was like, I don't know what to do. Like, I'm supposed to be clipping all these people's nails. This is, like, the third person, you know. It's like, I got three more hours. Like, I've got to get these nails back. And uh, so finally I called Corey Hallett, who's not here. He's over at Riverstone. And he just walks over, and, uh, and just the guy just puts his hand up and gives it to him. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, that's ridiculous. Like, I've been fighting this guy for three minutes. Uh, and so that, that story really doesn't is meaningless. I just thought it was funny. Um, so uh, I thought that I would just kind of try to give you guys a feel for, like, the youth camp because that was a huge um, – uh, we, we basically got done with the youth camp, and we all – it took us two days to really realize what God did. I mean, it was just awesome. Um, so I'm going to kind of give you snapshots of the things that I have in my mind. So the first night uh, we – it's not the first night, it's the second night, the night before youth camp. Tammy says, we're going to get together and pray. And um, and so we started out, Harrison DeJarnett, I don't know if any of y'all know him, but he's up there helping Tammy. And um, he just, in a matter-of-fact way, says, you know, hey, guys, we've been praying for this team. God has brought this team. They're here. Um, now we're going to pray for the next part, which is our, our Hindu friends and all the friends that we've invited from the neighborhood. Um, let's just go into worship and prayer, and let's really just lift them up. And... Y'all, it was unreal. Like, from the first word, these kids, you know, from 6, from 4, up to 22, were just pouring their hearts out to God in worship. Um, in between the songs, um, it was weird because they all had different personalities, just like your kids, just like the kids in our youth group. Some of them are uh, outgoing and, you know, wild, and some of them are very reserved. But in prayer, they had, like, a unity um, that was weird. Uh, you know, it was just like... Uh, it was like, a, you know, they, they, they were just unified in the spirit when they went after God. Um, and it, it was just a huge blessing. And the, the prayer that I remember at the end was Elias stood up and he basically just said, um, God, we thank you that you've already done this work. You're already victorious. You've gone before us to youth camp. You've moved. And all we have to do is be obedient. We thank you for that. And that's how we ended. And it was just victorious. Everybody was just like, okay, let's do this. And, you know, it was like there's no doubt. Um, and that was awesome. Um, and then the next thing I remember, so we get to youth camp. Um, and uh, I just have it blazed in my mind, Timothy Parker in full spandex. Um, that was, you cannot take that away from the youth camp experience. It was awesome. I wish we had a picture to show you guys. But, yeah. Um, but it really was cool, like, uh, the whole Nacho and Steven thing. It was just silliness that basically just, it really opened the kids up. Um, and so I thank God that that worked out. <laughs> Before we started, uh, Timothy, we're standing outside, and he just says a prayer. He says, God, I, pr- I pray that the silliness would bring people to Christ, and I also pray that it doesn't stink. You know, it's just a very real, honest prayer. Um, and then, so, so the next thing I remember is just, uh, you, you know, it's, it's the, the first night, and we go into worship. Um, and it just hit my heart, you know, as, as uh, Harvest was up here praying the first prayer, um, Tamil, that, that he said, he's in the back, and he starts pacing back and forth. 
and um, I'm not trying to hear his prayer, but I hear his prayer, and he's just he's just pleading with God. He says, "God, show us your heart. Show us your heart for us. Show us your heart for us." And it wasn't show my friends your heart for them. It was God, show me what you feel about me. Um, and it was just powerful. I mean, it was you know to me that was the theme of the weekend. Is you know, God, if you are a living God and if you want to interact in our lives, show us. Show us what you think about us. Um, and that that prayer, um, it was like immediately, like Steve said, it didn't take a warm-up song. I mean, these K-Home kids, I mean, it's like go after God, and they just went. And then you've got the other kids who this is literally their first time, you know, and you can, the first night, you know, they're kind of, you know, looking like this and, you know, okay, whatever. Um, and so fast forward to the next part that I kind of remember. So we have these small groups, right? Um, and there's a kid, uh, a, a Hindu kid in my group. And I just, I, this, this, this conversation is just kind of blazed in my mind. So he looks at me and says, um, I can't tell if God is moving in my heart or if it's just the loud music and just the excitement, you know. And I thought that was just a real honest question. He said, uh, I felt something moving, um, but I went home to my room, and I tried to have the same thing, and I didn't really have it, you know. And, and that, that was an honest deal, and basically, you know, God is good, and later on we were able to pray for him, and he was like, you know, I felt it again. I felt God move, and, and he ended up accepting Christ, and it was awesome. Um, and, you know, so to kind of finalize the youth camp, so so – Every single night, the Holy Spirit moved, and every single night, Tammy would, you know, in a, in a very, uh, how do I say this, um, non-manipulative way, she would just say, hey, where you are is where you are. If you don't believe in Jesus, but you just want to see if you can experience God, come stand in this line. If you're kind of 50-50, come stand in this line. And if you're ready to accept Christ, come stand in this line. And it was just a, just a real, like, you know, you are where you are. We're just here to serve you. And the cool thing about that time is that the 13 of us, we were not there for that part. We basically, for the most part, stood in the back and just prayed for God to move, prayed for, you know, just, just tried to hear what his spirit was doing. And these K-Home kids come up, and they just minister to their friends. Um, you know, so you've got all ages. It wasn't just the oldest. You know, it was... All ages were, were ministering to the kids that they'd been praying for for two months, you know, to come and learn about Jesus. And they were able to, to introduce them to Jesus. And it really was, uh, you know, hopefully I'll live another 40 years and I will always remember, you know, those nights and just, just what God did. It was awesome. So um, so that's that part. And then, uh, so the last part, and I'll try to be quick with this, but... Um, God did something in my heart that, as I was praying this morning, I really feel like uh, there, there may be somebody here that's in the similar situation. And so I just um, I, I want to share what God did with me and what he showed me in this. Um, so it, what it has to do with is basically being able to, um, to, to endure suffering and not to blame God, not to be offended by God. Um, and so... Basically, seven or eight years ago, I went through kind of a hard time in my life where um, me and my family were praying for something to happen, and it didn't, you know. And so um, over the course of about three or four years, you know, my heart was saying, 
God, I believe the Bible. I believe the theology of that you're a living God and we can pray and you can bring miracles. But basically over, over the course of several years, what happened was um, my theology in my head and the theology in my heart diverted a little bit to the point where, uh, you know, basically I would hear miracles and I would say, man, that's awesome. God is awesome. And then, but my heart would say, yeah, but that's not going to happen for you. You know, that's, that's not for you. Um, and then, you know, basically my heart would say, you know, God is an awesome God and he wants to show himself in his fullness. But in my heart, there'd just be a reservation. It's like, that's not exactly for me. I'm going to be happy with something that's less than God's fullness for me. Um, and basically Tammy shared several stories, um, and I'm not going to go through all of them, but, um, she has this ability to believe God for things um, and to recover quickly, to, to not blame God when, when things don't happen. She, she's had maybe four or five kids taken, um, and two or three have come back. A couple haven't. Um, and that's just huge. I mean, you think about it. These are her kids. You know, I, I think about Hazel or Penny, um, somebody coming and taking them and them not coming back, like how devastating that would be. Um, and she talks about um, how she's able to guard her heart, how she's able to endure that suffering and to still say, God, you are good. You are for me. I'm going to trust you. Um, and and the lesson for me was basically, uh, you know, in some ways it's just a, it's a choice of the will. Um, you know, if, if you really sit down and you give God room to talk to you, He'll, he'll show you the things in your heart that you're believing that are not from him, the things that are lies. Um, and so this morning, I would just encourage everybody, um, if, if as you search your heart, if you've come to a place uh, where you have accepted um, a place that's less than God's um, fullness for, for, the, for full intimacy, like Harvest was talking about this morning where we, um, we close our eyes, we reach out to God and say, God, I want you. I want everything from you. If, if you think uh, there's something in your past that has caused you to, to need to, to settle for, um, God, just as long as, as I can have just a general awareness of you, as long as, as I can kind of get through this life okay and not offend you too well and we'll just kind of hook up in heaven, um, that's not from God and that's not what he has for us as a body at Vintage. Um, and so two real practical things that Tammy shared with me that really helped me. Um, basically, just search your heart. Ask God to show you the lies um, that your heart has been believing. Um, and then just, just go after him. Be, be strong in pursuing God and say, God, I don't want that. I don't want that for my life. And so I renounce those lies and I replace those with the truth. And just keep saying it until you believe it in your heart. Um, and then the other thing. Um, is the prayer that Tamil prayed that I heard. Um, basically, just, just keep praying, God, what is your heart for me? You know, what, how do you, what do you think about me? Um, and the first couple times you hear it, you're going to probably hear your own voice saying, you know, uh, I didn't like the way you handled this situation. Um, and you just have to realize that's not God talking. That's not him. Um, and just keep praying that and keep praying that until you feel confident. Basically, her answer how you keep your heart from being offended by God is you just know his character. I mean, it's just an easy answer, but, you know, she gave the example of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego um, and how they're sitting in, about to be thrown into the furnace, and, 
and they say, their answer is, um, my God will deliver me. He will deliver me. But if he doesn't, I'm still not bowing down to your idols, you know. And so his, his heart was confident in God, confident that he would move. And then if he doesn't, you know, I'm still confident in who God is, you know. And that to me was the big lesson that God taught me, and I hope that may help somebody here. If you'll give me five more minutes, and, uh, and then, we will, then we'll be done. The, um, one of the things that, um, at Caribe Home that, that uh, and in the whole week that we were very aware of, is the nature of their faith, their trust, their belief, and their confidence in God's moving. It gets back to even Kelly's talking about the nature of offense. They have a, like they've literally had kids, children taken from them. And their kids that are taken, I guess you got to recognize, some of them have been sold into slavery. It's not just taken. I mean, talking, t- literally taken and sold into slavery. Literally living uh, in, in grass huts with no food and utter poverty. It's not just kids who are going to go and go to some better school or whatnot. It's like, and, and, and this nature of this gut-wrenching, heart-wrenching God. Why? But in the nature of that, there's the, it's that. God, we, I don't understand, but we trust you. And we trust your character and we will not be offended by you. And, and Tammy's words and the thing is this, and this is what you saw in the kids, is that there was such an intimate knowledge of Jesus. It's like nothing got in the way of that. That there was this ultimate confidence, trust, and belief that God was in control in the midst of things that gave them right, quote-unquote, to be offended. And I'll be honest with you, I think that, at least for me, and I know Kelly and I know others, that was a, it was a challenging moment of, God, do I really have that belief? Do I really have that faith? And I really have that level of trust in you. On an on a, on a, on a even lesser scale for us, just a couple of stories. You know, we had this kid uh, named Kaushik. He's a Brahmin Hindu, and he's just a bad kid, right? Second night there, gives his life to Jesus. The last night we were there, he comes forward. He wants to be filled with the Holy Spirit to be empowered to go home and love Jesus. He um, we pass out these cross necklaces before they go home, like those ones that everybody has, like these little cross necklaces. He goes home and he says, I was, he tells them, he says, <coughs> he says, I was afraid of what my dad would say. So I took my cross and I kind of just put it in my room and didn't wear it because I just I wasn't ready to make that known. And he said, and about an hour later, here's his dad's voice. Kashi, come here. And he walks in, and his dad's holding the necklace. Now, you need to recognize that in Hindu world, I mean, it's, um, it's, uh, it, it's illegal. It's illegal to proselytize Hindus, just like it is Muslims, right? It's, uh, it is a cultural, massive cultural and religious no-no to ever convert. It's a very big deal. A kid converted last year, went home, got beaten almost every night for giving his life to Jesus. Radha Krishna, I mean, belonged to Krishna, I think, or something like that, right? He has his own story we can't tell right now. I'll just say he's literally physically seen Jesus many times, but... 
because um, he said, I have no church and no one. So Jesus just comes and disciples me in my room. He has a journal of Jesus. It's crazy. But anyway, so Kaushik and so his dad's holding the cross and says, are you, he looked at and says, do you love Jesus now? He looked at his dad and said, I love Jesus. And he handed him his necklace and said, then follow him confidently. Undone. He lifted his son. And I want you to hear just the nature of God moving. He said, I, this is like the prevenient grace. God already moving in their families. I had a positive experience with Christians when I was your age. Maybe if I had had this camp like you did, maybe I would love Jesus too. By the time, a year from now, his dad's going to love Jesus. Kirtana is his sister. She came to me one of the last nights with her. She sat down next to me. She says, Steve, uncle. That's what she called the uncle and auntie. Steve, uncle, I need to tell you my story. I'm like, okay. And long story short, she gave her life to Jesus. Second night, she said, I knew Jesus was real because I have nightmares every night at home. And I came here and Jesus took them away. And I know he's real. Again and again, Elia Raj in my group, high Brahmin, the biggest kid at camp. He's in my group. And the first day he says, Tamil's been telling me about Jesus. I like him, but not so much. <laughs> All right. I said, that's okay, man. <laughs> There's no pressure. Second day, I just say, we just say to him, just ask Jesus if he's real. No pressure from us. He goes and asks Jesus, are you real? And next second day in a group, we go, I say, what's God speaking to you in group, right? We go around the circle and he gets to him. Either He kind of has this like excited grin. He said, I asked Jesus, I asked Jesus if he was real. And you know what he told me? I said, what did he tell you? He says, he, he said, I am the chosen one. He'd never heard that language before. He had never heard the language chosen one. But Jesus is speaking to him, says, I am the chosen one. He wasn't ready yet to give his life to Jesus. Last morning that we're there, getting ready for Nacho and Stephen to come out. Spandex on Timothy. Ooh. All of a sudden, Sam Franklin and Simon, who had been bitter enemies. Sam Franklin has told Tammy, he said, I came to camp because I knew Simon would be here. He was my enemy and I got a free trip to come here and beat him up. Second night, Jesus meets him, saves the stew out of him. He falls in love with Jesus and goes to Tammy and says, Will you pray for me that Simon and I can be brothers forever? And I see them go to Elia Raj and say, Can we pray for you? And together they lay hands on this high Brahmin Hindu. And he gives his life to Jesus because he hears the voice of Jesus say to him, I love you. Elia Raj, and I accept you. And he breaks down in tears because he lived in fear every day of his life, feeling pressure and feeling weight. And he says, Jesus, if you love me and you accept me, then I will love you and accept you. And he wrote me a note the last day he was there. And he says, Steve, uncle, thank you for camp. I thought it was awesome. I loved everything, but I'm scared. 
because I have to go home and let my family know that I'm a Christian and it's going to be hard, but I'm going to love Jesus. Listen, there is an awakening that happened in people. Who believed God in the moment, right? These Karube kids believing God in faith. All of their parents are dead. Their parents died. I mean, seriously, this alien gets up and says, yes, I watched my father kill my mother and then the police kill my father. But I have no offense before God. And I love him with everything I have in me. And he's one of the primary kids sharing Jesus with all of these Hindu kids. And I'm undone because they're believing God in faith with no offense saying, Jesus, will you move in my friends lives and we give them to you and expect you, Jesus, to reveal yourself to them in time. We've been speaking about the desert advantage, and that's a language sometimes that's hard to get our our head around and our and our understanding around, but it's real simple. It's real simple. Jesus wants every single one of you in your life to be dissatisfied with everything that you try to satisfy yourself with so that you find him as the only one who can satisfy. That's the desert. And I watched as these kids cried out to Jesus and he met them and he saved them because nothing in their life was satisfying. They were hungry. They were thirsty for something, right? They're having bad dreams every night and they can't get, they can't get, they can't get rid of them. And they come and they're hungry and they're watching these kids, listen, praying and crying out to God on their behalf. And they said, we want what you have. We're hungry and we're thirsty for the thing that you have. And they lead them to Jesus and said, we have nothing but Jesus. And he's the only one who can ever satisfy. And I want you to know what I pray for every single one of you this morning. And I want you to hear this because you need to begin praying it for yourself. I prayed that Jesus would make you the most dissatisfied people in the entire world. I want him to make you miserable. I want him to make you so undone that football doesn't make you happy, that a new car doesn't make you happy, sex doesn't make you happy, that friends don't make you happy. I want you to be so dissatisfied with everything in life that it takes you to the desert and all you say is, I need something. I need you, Jesus, please come and fill me. That is the desert. And the only way you're ever going to get over your offense with God and the only way your life's actually going to make a difference is if you begin to believe him in faith and risk something and say, Jesus, nothing will ever satisfy me except for you. And I'm crying out for more and more and more and more of you. Thursday night, we're going to have a prayer time. It says worship and prayer, but it's actually prayer, secondarily worship. And we're going to come and we're going to pray. 
And I want you to hear me say this. God is speaking and stirring into your heart this morning. Do not let stuff and busyness steal what God is trying to birth in you. You're going to leave and you're going to get a phone call. Your kids are going to cry out. Something's going to happen. Something's going to be wrong at your house. And something's going to try to steal what God is trying to birth in you this morning. Do not let anything steal the work of God producing hunger and thirst for you that only he can satisfy. And Thursday, I want you to come. And I want you to cry out with every single one of us. Jesus, we are hungry and we are thirsty for life. We're hungry. We are dissatisfied. We are frustrated. We are overwhelmed. We are angry. We are anxious. We are worried. All of those things point to the desert. Saying, God, I'm all of these things except satisfied. And he said, that was my plan. Because only I satisfy. Thursday, you need to come. I don't ever say it like that. I'm never that forceful. But you need to get your rear end here. And you need to pray. You need to cry out for Jesus. And ask for come dissatisfied and thirsty for him. Okay? Let's pray. Father. We come this morning and we thank you for what you did in India. Father, we pray for the Kashiks and the Iliaraj and the Simons and the Sam Franklins and the Kirtanas and the others, Lord, who have given their lives to Jesus. And, Lord, those who have suffered for your name already. God, I pray for those today, Lord, who are struggling because it's just been extreme suffering since they've come home. I pray, Father, that you would protect them, that you would guard them. We ask today for a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit to empower them to love you fully and completely. And God, full love then means expressing that and sharing with other people. And that's what we're asking for. That you would empower them so strongly that, God, they would be compelled to share the love that they have for you with everyone around them. Father, only you satisfy Would you awaken us to that truth, God? It's a gift of your grace. It's something that you do. We can't make it happen, but we're asking for it today. Make us so dissatisfied and awaken us to our offense before you, God, so we can lay it down and allow you to move. Our offense, Jesus, is the number one reason that you don't move powerfully in our lives today. Number one. And so, Lord, I'm asking that you would help those today who are offended God, to release that and to watch you move. Father, we love you. We pray this in your name. Amen.